righty, what's going on? Happy Thursday. The Pete Callender Show on News Talk 1110-993 WBT. I'm Pete. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. I appreciate it. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110 are the numbers. And you can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh, also, remember, get the podcast at WBT.com. I want to welcome to the program now Brad Murphy. Uh, he is a congressional candidate in North Carolina District 1. Brad, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Pete. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir, certainly. So uh, forgive me for not being exactly clear on where the boundaries of a congressional district are in North Carolina, but uh, tell us, what it, where is District 1? Well, if you were confused, you wouldn't be the only one, Pete, after the nonsense uh, over the last four months. Um, but in, in, in summary, there are 19 counties in District 1. Essentially, all the counties that surround Wake but does not include Wake um, north to the Virginia line and uh, almost in a pie shape all the way out to the northeast corner of the state, all the way to the mainland coast, including Pasquotank County, but not including the Outer Bank. So 9,000 square miles, Gosh. 19 counties, the largest uh, congressional district in the state, physically. Who is the current uh, congressional representative for that district? Is that Butterfield? So, uh, yeah, G.K. Butterfield, who's uh, resigned. Well, resigning, Retiring. I, I guess you could say. Yeah, he's not going to rerun. So there's no incumbent for this uh, upcoming uh, election cycle. And uh, if I remember correctly, he said it was because of the uh, the gerrymandering, and that's why he's not running again. But then he got a map that, I mean, ostensibly might have been better for him, but he's still not running. So I'm not sure if his yeah, original I, reason. I don't know what his personal reasons for not running, but I can tell you this. The constituents in this district are hopping mad and. And if he had run, um, even though you're right mathematically, it sure looks like uh, an advantage for the Dems. Um, there are a lot of swing voters and a lot of um, conservative black folks in this district who've kind of had enough. Yeah. Well, I, I say every election cycle, I mean, yes, the numbers and the data, the demographics, all that stuff's important, but candidates matter too. So let's talk a little bit about uh, you. You founded uh, two successful tech startups, right? Your background comes from the business sector and the tech sector specifically, right? That's right. Um, 40 years in the software, kind of global internet tech business. Uh, Two companies that grew from scratch very successfully in global and basically um, helping large traditional companies learn how to innovate like Amazon and Google is a big part of my career. Uh, And and really being a disruptor, that's that's really the the thread that... um, uh, connects everything I've done in my business life. So, I, I, first off, I think it would be fantastic if we had somebody up in D.C. that actually knew anything about technology. That would be a plus, uh, just in general. So this way, when you know they do haul the tech people in front of them for one of the hearings, somebody knows what you know uh, uh, what a platform is, and they know what a, what the stack is, and that sort of thing. I think that's important. Um, you also wrote a book, though, that I I thought was pretty interesting. The the concept here about uh, what you describe as tone deaf bureaucratic cultures, um, and this is uh, this is in large organizations. It can be in smaller ones, but particularly, I think, in large ones, right? And and bureaucratic, uh, obviously, in these organizations in government. Well, and, I, and I, uh, you know, there's a lot of parallels between what I've done in the last 15 years, which is go in and really break apart the way companies run themselves, giving employees more and more. Um, authority and opportunity to make decisions without having to run things up and down the flagpole. Um, these companies are also very risk adverse, so they don't want to try anything experimental. 
um, and they're just laden with rules and regulations about what you can and you can't do. So you have these brilliant people show up for work, and, and they become very stupid when they, um, <laughs> when they go to work during the day. And so it sounds a lot like our government. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's just a mess. People don't think anymore. There's no practical solution going on. And, and God forbid that anyone would innovate or experiment. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think we need people who are innovators going to Washington, not more lawyers and not more, sure as hell, not more politicians. So you mentioned disruption and being a disruptor, but is that necessarily a good thing? Is that a needed thing in government? Because I think some folks, particularly, I guess, conservatives would say, whoa, 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 let, let, let's not rush too far. Let's not disrupt things just for the sake of disruption. Well, I mean, obviously, if you're a successful disruptor, you're doing that with purpose and, and clarity uh, of vision. You know, I, I'll, I'll never forget, see, you know, being a uh, tech entrepreneur is a lot like being an actor in Hollywood. You don't tell people you're conservative or, or people won't do business with you. It's that kind of a, a, a culture, a business culture. And I remember sitting at dinner in Boston about four years ago. I just spoke at an international innovation conference, and a bunch of really brilliant people who had just read my book said, hey, Brad, what do you think about this election? Can you believe a reality TV star is rotting? And I said, well, I can believe it, and I'm voting for him. And you could, uh, it was that old E.F. Hutton commercial, <laughs> you know, when a pen drops, yeah. you know, everyone listens. That's what happened. And then I explained to them, I said, if, if a large institution like our government is intractably frozen in place, you have to first disrupt it. You have to create room for something new to emerge. And that's what Trump brought us, was that kind of disruption. I think now that people have their eyes wide open, we need to send people who have the skill to reshape and re-knit together something new and fresh that takes this country in a new and a better direction. It's a, it's a conversation I've had with many uh, elected officials and candidates, and it, it kind of comes down to one point, which is that if you were building government today, it would not look anything like it does because the technology and the you know the need for space, for example, just the most obvious one. We would not build buildings like we build them, like we have built them, and, and just keep retrofitting it. We would we would design something new. Is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And of course, the the big challenge when you're in the change business, which is I've been in most of my career, is how do you how do you make change happen while keeping the lights on? and not killing the patient in the process. And that's the skill I bring. Um, I, you know, again, very few people go to Washington that skill set. You know, you, 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 the old expression, if all you got is a uh, hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, if you send lawyers and politicians to Washington, you're just going to get more of the same. So I think it's time for r- people who work in the, what I call the new economy, which, by the way, is driving the whole world today. And, and you know, we haven't even talked about things like Ukraine and, and uh, Russia and China, but frankly, global new economy dynamics um, intersect with global politics to get today like never before. By the way, the only reason China hasn't invaded Taiwan yet is because of semiconductors. Hmm. And we, we have legislatures who are clueless about how this new economy actually works. And as a result, we're not getting kind of the forward thinking that we need. So do you want to stick around for another segment? We can talk about some of those specifics. I'd love to. OK. All right. Let, I'm going to put you on hold. And uh, we'll have more with Brad Murphy. He is running for North Carolina's Congressional District 1. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Chatting with Brad Murphy. He is running for Congress in North Carolina, the first district of North Carolina. And by the way, you can check out more about Brad 
at his website, bradmurphyforcongress.com. Brad, you got you to gotta make sure to work in the, uh, the website every time, like almost every answer. I think that's what campaign managers advise. I hear you, brother. <laughs> right, so let's talk a little bit about some issues. I was over at your website and I saw, uh, well, actually, let me start with what you, something you had mentioned before, the semiconductor issue in Taiwan, and that's why China hasn't rolled in there yet. What did, what did you mean by that? Spell that out for us. So, in real simple terms, uh, what I think everyone's learned during the uh, uh, COVID shutdown was um, semiconductors matter and supply chains matter. And, you know, your toaster, your phone, your car, your dishwasher, nothing modern works without semiconductors. Um, some people think because Taiwan manufactures so many of our semiconductors that they already have the technology. What they have are buildings, and inside those buildings are fabrication equipment and technology they buy and acquire from us. Well, every two or three years, Americans innovate the next bleeding edge of semiconductors. Well, what China does is they regularly steal and reverse engineer our technology and they exploit it. And so they want to have access to that technology so that they can be on the bleeding edge. We're about five years from them being able to acquire that unless we have real smart sanctions and legislation and rules governing what they can access and what they can't. Again, the average lawyer and politician in Washington is close about semiconductors, but I could tell you is semiconductors is our last shot at keeping China in a box and keeping our nation safe, which some people are surprised to hear. It's not just about semiconductors. It's about how we make them behave well uh, on, the, on, the, on the global stage. So how, how, how does China get access via Taiwan, uh, and why couldn't they, I guess they're just not allowed to buy semiconductors, the, the, the latest tech from us? Our, our, we have laws in, on the books that prevent U.S. companies from selling directly uh, any uh, sort of bleeding-edge semiconductor technology to China. Hmm. But China finds all kinds of creative ways to um, buy from third parties in the back door, and we know about this. There just aren't a lot of teeth in our laws to prevent that from happening or, or sanctioning or um, penalizing those who facilitate that. Uh, there are a myriad of ways they can get access, but if they, they, they know this, if they go directly to, to Taiwan and they, and they take Taiwan, they eliminate the possibility of getting our very latest semiconductor uh, technology, and they want it badly. So I think there's some really clever things we could do to not prevent that from happening from the future, but, but um, I guess mitigating it slowing it down, because let's be honest, China's made it clear they want to be the, the economic and military power in the world. And this latest uh, deal they struck with Russia when Russia invaded Ukraine is just a great example of what's going to happen more in the future. Yeah. Um, you talk about low-cost, space-based, high-speed internet, which yep. sounds, I mean, I'm not a tech person, but sounds kind of tinfoil hatty. I'm just saying. Like, what are you talking well, about, space-based? You know, space i tell you what, my neighbors, I live in Warren County, where we have, it's like the, the most horrible place to get broadband. And I've got a little white, little shiny little dish that sits down in my backyard. Um, it's, a, it's a division of, of SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk company. Mm-hmm. My son actually works for Elon. And um, uh, he's deploying several thousand little tiny satellites that, that float above us that give us true high-speed broadband for rural parts uh, of our country. And it's just getting rolled out. That's one example of how we could leapfrog rural parts of eastern North Carolina into the modern age almost overnight, because even though there's money now to deploy fiber, it'll take our government 10 years. That's what governments do, right? They're risk-adverse. They're going to do things the old-fashioned way. 
if we could do something in a, in a private way with companies like SpaceX, we could plug every child, every business in eastern North Carolina into an affordable, um, true broadband connection almost overnight. We don't have to wait 10 years. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me of, I read an article a long time ago about how um, third, some third world and second world nations had blown right past uh, America in their I uh, believe it was, I want to say it was uh, cell phone. They went right to cell phones because they never ran the phone lines because they couldn't. Well, they, they didn't have the money to, so they weren't reliant then on those phone lines for DSL. So they immediately go to cell and satellite service. Well, and I'm glad you brought this up because I've actually been spending time with a number of Americans who are physically in Africa right now deploying broadband to all the villages because mm. Africa is very rural. They can't afford an expensive fiber-based internet system, but they know their economic prosperity is linked to being plugged into the internet. So they're doing all kinds of innovations with fixed wireless and low-cost off-the-shelf componentry. Again, something our government would never want to do because it's not the official best way to do things. But my God, Eastern North Carolina, only 60% of citizens have access. Now, imagine what happened during COVID. Um, literally, I was in one county in my district, and they said, yeah, all, this, all the kids were brought to the parking lot so they could connect to Wi-Fi because we have Wi-Fi on the school buses. Right. Sorry, but that's just messed up. So is this the proper role of the federal government? How, what, what's the conservative case for saying that this is something the, the national government needs to be doing? Well, I, I want to be clear. Um, I think there's a role for the government to play from a policy point of view that incents private industry to solve this problem. I'm not suggesting that the government and all its wisdom start um, doing solving these problems themselves. I'm just simply saying smart policy leads to smart solutions by private industry, and that's the kind of mindset that I'll bring. I got you. Uh, Brad Murphy, he's running for Congress up in District 1. The website is bradmurphyforcongress.com. Brad, uh, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. We'll have you back on. Thanks. Awesome, Pete. Take care. Have a great day. All right, you too, and good luck out on the campaign trail. We appreciate it. Yeah, bradmurphyforcongress.com. He's got a ton of stuff up there. Uh, that Obviously, uh, not enough time to get to all of it, but a lot of it focused on uh, helping to uh, to bring rural North Carolina areas uh, sort of uh, uh, to a parody with some of the urban areas. All right. <music> News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110, which is uh, one of those numbers I think Kathy called. And she joins us now. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hello. Hey, what's going on? Hey, I just have a comment um, that to say that China and Taiwan have been there for 70 plus years. You don't know what kind of sleepers have been in Taiwan for 70 years. No one does. Except the Chinese. Okay. Well, and, and to, why is well, that? Well, it stands why? to reason that these people have been gathering all along. This is not it's not a big deal that everybody is talking about. I'm sorry, your phone, sorry, Kathy, your phone signal's kind of uh, underwater sounding. Oh, so, okay. Say that well, again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. I, I was interested. I just, I was hoping to get her a little more clearer signal if she was moving around or something. But I think I heard her say that that they've got sleepers 
agents in China have for 70 years. And so I, yeah, I, I couldn't make out, I'm sorry. I couldn't make out whatever else she was saying, but, um, Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty interesting angle that I've not heard anybody really talk about. And not that I'm some expert on Taiwan and China and all that, but uh, I'm, I've read a little bit over the course of the last 20 years about China. There's a fascinating book um, about North Korea uh, that I read uh, by Timmerman, I want to say is his name. This was probably 15 years ago. And he talked about how North Korea uh, is the knife that China wields. And how without China, North Korea would have already collapsed and uh, probably for the better, right? Uh, you would have uh, more freedoms there and, and there would be better things. But nor- the Chinese used North Korea as sort of a pressure, re- uh, pressure valve, pressure release valve, that uh, if stuff gets too hot for China, then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll have the North Korean dictator, you know, fire off some rockets or something. And they also engage in some some uh, terrible behavior in North Korea. I mean, not just against its own people, but uh, they will go. And there was one story. They, they go and they kidnap South Koreans and the North Koreans do. And uh, there was uh, one story where there was a fellow who had, I want to say he was a North Korean who had defected to South Korea. And the, uh, you know, the Intel people are driving this defector through one of the cities, I think it was Seoul, and they're driving him through the city and they hit a bunch of traffic and they're stuck. And the spy guy says, you want to take this route to where we're going? And he's he's guiding the locals, the natives how, through their city. And the spy guy says, we built this city. In other words, they built a mock Seoul in North Korea. They have a, they have a, a replica of the city that they train in, that they live in and work in and all this. So they know every every place in the city or uh, portions of it. I don't think they replicated the entire city. Now, it's probably made out of, you know, plywood or dirt. But, um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that has been going on down there for a long time. And, yes, China's been stealing from us for a very long time. And we thought, you know, for many years that we're going to help China open up and they're going to become more like us and more Western-friendly. And uh, so we'll turn a blind eye to all their intellectual property uh, theft. And uh, turns out we've seemed to have gone down the path to be more like China than they're more like us. But uh, that's a different topic. Uh, anyway, the Charlotte Observer editorial board, the McClatchy editors, because it's a unified board now. It's uh, uh, News and Observer in Raleigh. It's the I think it's the Durham Herald Sun, maybe, or Winston-Salem Journal. I forget. Uh, maybe it's both, but they're all McClatchy papers along with the Charlotte Observer, and they share an editorial board. And they had a piece the other day, speaking of uh, North Carolina Congress members, Republicans in North Carolina helped create extremists like Madison Cawthorn. Now it's who they are. That's the headline. Which, remember, these are the people who tell us that the world is ending every single day or else we won't buy their product. That is the business model. And this is not a new business model. This has been going on for a very long time. I've said this many different ways over many different years, and it's still true today, which is no one's going to buy a newspaper from some kid standing on the corner screaming, absolutely nothing happened today. Read all about it. So this has to be, you know, Madison Cawthorn now has to represent who 
the entire North Carolina Republican Party and maybe just the entire party nationally is. And all the voters, everybody is defined by Madison Cawthorn, the one person that is the easiest target. He makes himself so. I'm not here to defend him. Uh, He makes himself an easy target. No doubt about that. But all Republicans are now defined by him. Of course, hashtag not all Democrats are defined by the craziest moonbats in their party. No, no, no. That's that is a different standard. And we all know it's different when Democrats do it. That's the point of the big D shield. You get to hold that shield up and it protects you from the kind of uh, application of a consistent standard. All right. So let's get into this editorial. By the way, if we're talking, uh, if we're uh, uh, tossing blame around and by, this has been a, uh, uh, just a quick tangent here, uh, this has been sort of a. Uh, uh, a mission statement for the uh, for the Charlotte Observer folks for a long time. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? I remember hearing about that out of their newsroom over a decade ago. This this became sort of the the organizing principle. You ask this question: Who's to blame? And you everything gets filtered through the prism. Now it's all through race, but um oh, and equity. Uh, if we're tossing around blame for creating extremists, though, then. Might I suggest, very humbly, gaze upon this mirror, editors, right? the coverage and the narrative crafting that the publication has been engaged in for a very long time uh, has also fueled that radicalism. If you want to make an argument that uh, these extremists have been created or somehow aided and abetted by Madison Cawthorn, who literally first came on the scene two years ago, right? He ran for an office. He finished, uh, he beat uh, uh, Linda Bennett in a runoff. Nobody knew about this guy before 2020. But you want, to be, you want me to believe that the entire party of the Republican Party and, and half of the country, its voters, you want me to believe that now... That is who all of these people are based on this 25-year-old who just popped up on the scene within the last two years. Instead of, say, you, you guys who have made all sorts of really terrible journalistic decisions over, well, 20 years since I've been in Charlotte. So I'm just saying, as long as we're throwing some blame around, who's to blame, who's to blame, here's a mirror you might want to take a look. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Charlotte Observer, the McClatchy Editorial Board, says since the 2020 election, two of North Carolina's newest Republican politicians have become known for their unrestrained rhetoric. But despite their similarities, U.S. Representative Madison Cawthorn and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson appear to be on different courses. Cawthorn increasingly is on the outs with more mainstream leaders in his party. Robinson is winning those leaders' approval, or at least their silence. A growing number of Republicans seem to be coming around to an idea that's old news. People like Madison Cawthorn maybe shouldn't hold public office. That is what you call projection. It's a clear case of projection by the McClatchy editors that um, 
that's the reason why Republicans are sort of coming around to the old idea, projection of belief upon a third of the state's people, basically. Because I can believe that people like Madison Cawthorn can hold, should hold public office. Look, I'm a realist. I try to deal, you know, with things as they are, not as I wish them to be. And I can, yes, I can have ideas about the way things ought to be, but I try to, what Rush Limbaugh always used to say, the mayor of Realville, Congress is, in fact, our uh, representatives. They are our representatives. They represent us. So when people say, oh, can you believe these Congress people and they did blah, blah, blah? Why, yes, I can. You know why? Because the American people do that sort of stuff. That's not unheard of. They are our representatives. Now, maybe they're overrepresented in certain areas like sociopathy and stuff. But <laughs> but for the, for the most part, I kid, I kid the Congress. But it's actually true. But in politics, this, so Patrick McHenry, Congressman McHenry, had many, many interviews with him over the course of, uh, of my career. And uh, I talked with him at length a couple, uh, probably about a year ago. He went to Congress and became one of Tom DeLay's uh, attack dogs, one of his pit bulls. And McHenry learned, and he talks about this, and we talked about this. He, he talks about how you can go to Congress and, and you, you can be a bomb thrower or you can get policy wins. And there is a need for both of those types of characters or personalities or approaches. You need both of them. So when you, when you recognize that, and the bomb throwers... You know, they're there, they, 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 they keep the grassroots and the base motivated, but they also send off a lot of warning shots, not just to the left or if, you know, there are bomb throwers on the left and they send off the warning shots to the right. But they also help to keep other people in line inside the caucus. And not only that, it allows room for the people who are interested in policy. It gives them room to operate as well. And so McHenry learned that, and he has shifted, whereas he used to be a bomb thrower, and then he had to repair a lot of relationships, but now he's able to actually get policy wins, get things done. That's his, now, you cannot like him, it doesn't matter to me if you like him or not, think he's a good congressman or not, but what he's saying, or what he said, is accurate. So... This idea that the McClatchy folks want to cast all of the Republican Party as somehow in bed with Cawthorn, that's projection. That is advancing a narrative. Or it's a fundamental ignorance of the way to approach governing and the way Congress members approach governing. And once again, you can say you don't like that. You can argue that oh, I, I, and there shouldn't be any bomb throwers. Well, yeah, there are bomb throwers all over the place in America. Once again, they are our representatives. So. Cawthorn, only a first-term congressman, they say, frequently makes national headlines for all the wrong reasons. Is that is that because the left writes a lot of the headlines and they hate Madison Cawthorn? Is that what you mean? No, I kid. The only look, the only time the Charlotte Observer, McClatchy editors, and the you know media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, the only re, the only times that they are really upset about the national coverage that this you know politician is is. Uh, uh, giving North Carolina is when it's a Republican. They, if if there's some really stupid thing that a North Carolina 
member of Congress or state lawmaker, if there's something really stupid that they did, they a lot of times they just don't cover it. And by not covering it, it leaves it over in the conservative media realm. They cover it. And then if it becomes big enough where the press gets dragged into covering it, think Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham and his zipper issues, right? That story got broken by a right-wing conservative outlet, National Pulse, I believe. They got that story. And after they got that story, then it prompted the PAC journalism to take hold. And at that point, you could dismiss, a lot of them were early on, kind of dismissing it as, well, it came from this, you know, right-wing source. And so so they'll, they'll, they'll mention that a right-winger broke this story. Same thing happens, by the way, with Project Veritas. Remember, they came to North Carolina and they were able to get ballots to vote for other people. And media just kind of said, oh, yeah, I mean, they came to town. And they focus on the messenger and it allows them to then say that, oh, I reported on the story and then they move on. But they don't go after the people. Cal Cunningham represented something different because he responded so poorly. Plus also that barbecue picture that he took, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Also, military. There's a big... That big component of that story was military and the fact that he was running around with a fellow service member's wife while that guy was uh, 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 at a country on duty, whatever. And then he had some PTSD issues. They were going through marital problems and a lot of people in the military not cool with what Cal Cunningham did. And then the way he handled it, of course, was just terrible. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson the state's top-ranking Republican has not shied away from divisive rhetoric of his own. In so many respects, they define what the North Carolina Republican Party has become, a party of extremism. This is wish-casting, by the way. Either that or it's hysterical, performative stupidity. Um, That is not what the Republican Party has become, but good job in just casting everybody in the same light. It's almost as if you're doing so for some sort of a reason, which I'm sure doesn't inspire any kind of extremist response.